Good, I'm part-time as a CSI audio analyst, and I can say for a shorty that you're at a rodeo. What? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 11 of Adventures in Angular. This week on our crew we have Aaron Frost. Hello. Lucas Rubelke. Hello. John Papa. Gotta keep him separated. Joe Eames. <laughs> hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and we have two guests. We have... Kato Wolf. Hello. And David East. How's it going? You guys want to introduce yourselves really quickly? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm David East. I'm a developer advocate here at uh, Firebase. And I'm Kato. I'm a developer advocate, and I also do support here at Firebase. Awesome. I know that some people are familiar with Firebase, but can you just quickly give us a kind of a thumbnail sketch of what Firebase is and what it does? A lot of people think of Firebase as, you know, it's this real-time database, but we kind of think of ourselves as a better way to build apps. And uh, we're really, like, kind of in the business of helping developers create extraordinary experiences and kind of give their users, like, better than experience than what they'd usually get. So, really, it's a way for you to sign up for the service that gives you, you essentially get a real-time API to store and sync your data in real time. So, you don't have to request for your data. It gets pushed down to all the clients whenever something updates. I think a great point there is that we're really competing in two markets. One is the backend as a service. You can use Firebase as your complete backend without setting up any servers, without the need for any sort of hosting. And the other environment we're competing in is real-time data. So synchronizing your data, and getting it out to in a scalable manner to thousands of users at once. Awesome. And actually, if I can just jump in here as a Firebase user, is that kind of is the two kind of sweet spots for me. Uh, one is not having to set up a backend, so being able to spin up like prototypes really, really quickly, where it would take me, you know, sometimes days, I could do it in minutes because I don't have to worry about that. It's just, it's there. And then the other part is actually doing real-time data uh, where, you know, if your interface calls for it, it makes sense. It's a really easy tool to do real-time stuff as well. So that raises an interesting question about sweet spots, and I think John is the one who really kind of wanted to ask this question. So go for it, John. So yeah, I've been involved in a lot of conversations over the last couple of days, oddly, uh, about Firebase. And the first thing that usually comes across is, oh, look at this, it's wicked cool, I can do three-way data binding, and I can do this, and it does magic toast, and wow, it like cooks me breakfast. Magic and then people toast, are like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but then the other... <laughs> The subsequent thing comes up of where am I actually going to use this in a real business application? And then the second thing after that, the follow-up is, uh, is this thing secure? So, David, is is that real-time toast in the in the documentation? Did we document that? I uh, thought that was just an Easter egg. I actually, uh, John, just to say this, the first thing I ever implemented with Firebase was actually uh, real-time toaster notifications. <laughs> <laughs> ah, cool. So you're using Toaster.js? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so back to the topic. I mean, one of the best ways to find out what Firebase is useful for is to look at our customer page and sort of see what our, our current customers are using it for. So, for example, we have Twitch, who's using it for a lot of their chat applications when they're doing their live streaming. Uh, CBS is using us for a huge chat application when they do Big Brother series. They recently logged somewhere around 600,000 concurrent users all at once in their chat. Um, hey, um, 
Can I just interject? Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oy, 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 oy. yeah. So uh, another great example is uh, Roll20, which is a worldwide tabletop gaming system. They use Firebase for pretty much everything, synchronizing user groups. They have maps on there with real-time tokens on them and calculations for rolling dice in virtual space so everybody can see them, the chat applications, the sort of lobby rooms where you go in to find groups and join them, and the forums. All, all that stuff is coming through Firebase for them. And we have a real-time drawing app. Citrix is using us for their Talkboard app, which does a real-time drawing, almost like a, you know virtual whiteboards. And another great application for Firebase is code collaboration. So we have tools like Nitrous and Cobra.io and Coderpad.io uh, who use us for online code collaboration. And you can actually all edit the same document at the same time and do tutorials, teaching, or job interviews, things like that. Let me, let me ask you a question, though. So just to make sure everybody's clear on what Firebase does and what its like uh, sweet spot is, are those people using that for collaboration documents that aren't persistent, meaning it's going to let them share and collaborate, and then once you're ready to persist it, you use another database backend type thing, or are you using it to actually persist in between sessions as well? That's actually one of the cool things about Firebase is that uh, a lot of the people we compete with in the real-time space either do persistence well or they do the real-time aspect well, where Firebase is real-time and persistent. And it's also based on state model. So you're, you're really synchronizing the state of data versus the message queue model where you're just transferring events and making the client sort of figure out how to compile those and deal with it, and merge all the conflicts. So the answer is yes. <laughs> to both. <laughs> yeah, sure is. Got it. <laughs> so you named a couple of fairly interesting places where Angular really hits the sweet spot. We had a conversation yesterday. The uh, JavaScript Jabber was about backend as a service. And one of the kind of themes or topics that came up there is, is backend as a service going to become as dominant and ubiquitous as platform as a service? And so what do you guys think of that? And if so, where do you think Firebase is going to fit in that space? And, you know, where might it go from where it's at right now? You know, I think that Firebase is such an amazing backend. One of the reasons I got involved in Firebase when I first started using it as a user before I became an employee was because I wanted to scale up an app with two people uh, for writers, and it was a pretty ambitious project. And we went through a lot of different back-end options, you know, hosting stuff on Heroku and working with different libraries to try and cut down on the amount of REST APIs and things like that we needed to build. And when I found Firebase, I, I called up my partner, my co-founder, and said, you know, we don't have to worry about the back-end anymore. And he said, okay, great. And that was that. We just wrote the app, and that was the end of the story. So I really feel like backend as a service is not only going to be ubiquitous and, and pretty much the way to go in the future, but I, I think that there's some ground to be laid in how that's going to work and what the ideal model is. And I think that Firebase, what Firebase is offering is really and truly a better way to scale and build apps, and we're sort of forging that groundwork. Awesome. Love it. So I think we've kind of talked about the sweet spot, and I really like the direction that things are heading. The, the question that I run into is security, and you know we, yep. we brought this up a few times. Yeah, so Firebase uses declarative security rules. Uh, and one of the amazing things about these is that they're not in your code. You know, you don't have to hide your code behind a, a server. You don't need it behind a firewall to make sure everything's secure. Basically, you lay out the groundwork. You can access this data if you're logged in, if you follow these rules, and if the data happens to be a string that's less than 100 characters, you can write to this field. So you lay out the data structure, the validation architecture, and the authentication schema that's required to access the data. 
And the clients don't have to worry about that. And you also don't have to worry about who the client is. If somebody wants to spin up, say, a mobile app that connects to your Firebase, it's just this huge API sitting out there. And as long as you follow the rules and can meet the security requirements, the data is available to you. And I think there's a huge advantage to this because of the amount of code you don't have to write. You still need some basic validation on your client to be responsive. You don't want to make a server trip every time somebody enters an invalid date, for instance. But you're no longer constrained with sort of dealing with all the aspects of how security is going to be implemented in your code. How complex can that get? Like, say, for example, um, on Habit RPG, every time you do something, you get a certain amount of experience points, right? Well, it would certainly be easy on the client side to go in there and say, hey, whenever you submit that I'm going to get a certain number of experience points, change that to something else. And of course, Habit RPG isn't, it would be useless for you to hack it because you could just hack it yourself anyway by clicking buttons a bunch of times. But as an example, right, some kind of validation that says, hey, this is, you know, you can't have a million of these points whenever you do something. There's supposed to be some logic that's going on in there. How complex can that be with Firebase? So right now you can get pretty complex. I recently wrote some security rules that throttle the number of messages you can post. So you can only post one message every five seconds, make sure they're sequential. We recently did some security rules for a chess game so that you could enforce who moved first and who moved second and sort of the turn sequencing and that you didn't go out of order or get extra turns in the game. Wow. So you can get pretty good with those. Part of it is a is a sort of art form between your data structure and your security rules. And when you start to understand how security rules work, structuring the data properly makes the security rules much more powerful. Uh, we also have a new tool called the Blaze Compiler, which will allow you to write much more sophisticated security rules that then get compiled into the actual rules language. Oh, how cool. Now, how do you write these rules? I, is it JavaScript? Uh, uh, yeah, so the oh, they're just uh, it's really just annotations on top of your data structure. So essentially, you uh, they're just JSON really because your data is JSON. Yeah, I'm looking at your docs inside right the now, rules. They have little like basically JavaScript syntax in them for comparators, contains, and regular expressions and things like that. Hmm. I was looking inside your documentation at security, and I see the JSON structure there. What's not clear to me, and I haven't read the whole thing yet, is how do you where do you apply this? Is this inside of like a dashboard mm-hmm. at Firebase, or is this inside the yeah. code? Where does that live? Yeah, we have a, and like when you have an account, you go into your dashboard, and there's a security rules section, and that's where you can do editing, and it, they won't save if you have any errors in them, and so they get all compiled out and saved there. Gotcha, cool. So it's not like you're saving from your JSON with your, you know, so when, I can't just be source in the browser and see it and go, Ooh, right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, and you can also edit those programmatically, but you need uh, special auth tokens to do that with. And then you can upload and write and read them via REST API. So, let me, so that let me allows you for you to build sort of your own build tools on top of that that can uh, modify and maintain your security rules. Where wouldn't Firebase be the fit? I mean, everybody's got a sweet spot. I think we hit some very key current areas, but where isn't it a great place to use? We've had some people try and use it for some interesting use cases. And being in support, I get to hear about all of those. And a couple that haven't worked well are, say, log aggregators, where you're just writing millions of records a day from various servers' logs, trying to aggregate those into an admin tool. Um, That hasn't worked very well because of the huge write throughput and then just the huge number of nodes. And we still have some work to do in that area before we're going to be a a great resource for that sort of tool. David, can you think of any others? Yeah, like if you need to do a lot of like really heavy like image like custom image processing or like any type of really like heavy stuff that you're gonna have to write, like use some type of server library for and do a lot of custom stuff, then you know that's not gonna work best. 
Yeah, and that's that's an interesting point. It's just a matter of bandwidth, right? Like uploading and downloading images in real time, like real time syncing images, if they're fairly big, is going to be a problem just because of bandwidth. So you're not going to do like a Skype type application where you're uploading your video stream through uh, Firebase to synchronize. Yeah, that wouldn't be so great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although one of the great things about it is you can use Firebase to control all the metas on that. You know, all the you know the available streams and and what's going on on the on the background, and then just do the streaming on the side through another service. So we've talked a lot about Firebase. What about Angular Fire? What's that? Yeah, so Angular is something not built for us a while back, and that's become my baby over the last year. And so essentially what that is is a bindings library. Angular, of course, is pretty famous for their two-way bindings between JavaScript and the DOM. And what Angular Fire does is turns that into a three-way binding between your persistence layer, which is Firebase, your JavaScript memory variables, and the DOM, so that you can basically synchronize stuff right from an input field into Firebase and have it immediately pushed out in a stateful manner to thousands of users. Is that as um, cool as it sounds? It's even cooler. (laughs) It is pretty darn cool. And at at 1,200 lines of code, it's it's pretty amazing what it can do. So an immediately thing that's not obvious to people, though, is that Angular Fire is not a re-implementation of, say, the entire Firebase API for Angular. So it's not just, you know, the Firebase API with dollar signs in front of it. It's specifically just meant to bind collections and objects and to synchronize those because we find that's the majority of what you need to do from the client side. So let's talk a little bit about the service itself for a minute. It's essentially a database with an API on the front. How exactly is the data stored? It appears to be like a key value store or you you can push an object into there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's JSON, so it's a hierarchical uh, key value store. So you can you know nest objects within each other. Although you probably shouldn't nest too deeply, but you you know you can do that. No limit to the nesting, huh? Uh, no, you can go thirty-two nodes deep. Oh man, just thirty-two? Just thirty-two. Just thirty-two. Yeah. So one other thing I noticed that's provided is an authentication user sort of thing. Uh, so essentially, you can create user accounts, or your users can create users accounts and then they can sign in. How do you partition the data once you're in, or does the token just give you kind of general access to the entire thing and your app is, is uh, responsible for the data separation? Okay, so those work in tandem with our security rules. So essentially you have, uh, a user will have an ID, and we have a special auth variable within uh, security rules, so you can actually check up against an auth variable when you're writing your security rules and see if they're if it's null. And if it's null, then you know the user isn't logged in. And if it isn't null, it's going to have information that's pertinent to the user. So that way you can check to see if their email or their ID, it matches what you expect it to be. And you can lock down the data so only that user can do actions on their account or within their group or something like that. Yep, and then what's great from there is really all you need is a user ID at that point for security rules. And anything else you want to build off that, you can just put in the Firebase data itself. So if you want to establish like a role structure, like you have, a say, a blog application, and you want to have administrators and supervisors and moderators, you just add something into their user profile that says they're a moderator, and then you can reference that in the security rules as well. So the sky is really the limit there. Very nice. And then the other thing that I ran into, I've, I've been playing with Angular Fire this morning, one thing that I ran into that I was wondering about was that if I have, it kept calling .ref, and I wasn't quite sure what that did. So when um, it was setting up some object, and then it was calling .ref, but I hadn't actually created anything. I'm a little lost on that. There is a, 
you can have like a Firebase reference, which is your base. And usually what you do with that is you get an object or an array off of it. We have a dollar as array and a dollar as object. And then what you get out of that is a is actually synchronized data, which is automatically synchronized back and forth to Firebase. You can get a reference off of that, which just basically takes you back to the Firebase API. So it takes you back to the SDK level. If you want to do something more advanced with it, that the bindings aren't automatically handling for you. Generally, you don't uh, you don't need to drop to the Firebase API level though, because uh, what, mostly what people need to do with Angular Fire is data transformation. So they either want to add something onto the prototype of their object, so they have a special method they can call, like say that gives you a, a sum from your all of your records in an array, or they want to transform data, like dealing with date objects is a pretty common use case there. And we built into the latest version, the 0.8 version, this extend factory method. It'll basically allow you to override methods internally in the in the synchronized arrays, so you can control how the data gets created on the client and then how it gets saved back to the server. Once you get to that point, I mean, AngularFire becomes a really sophisticated tool that you can write services from. So if I want to add a new object, do I call as object, or is that just simply lookup reading? Yeah, so you can... I mean, you can write it directly to Firebase if you already have a reference, right? One of the things you do when you work with Angular Fire is you call a new Firebase to get a reference to your Firebase data, and then you pass that into Angular Fire. You can always just call set on that if you just want to create a new object on the fly. Um, okay. If you already have, say, a synchronized array downloaded, you can just call $add on your synchronized array, and it'll push new data into Firebase for you. And if I call set, is that an Angular Fire call? that will give me three-way binding, or is it a Firebase call that I need to set up? Yeah, so when you're working at the dollar Firebase level, you don't have a synchronized array or a synchronized object. We have some methods on there like set and put uh, and update, and basically what those do is they call the Firebase SDK, and then they take care of sort of the, uh, the cleanup work for you that you need in Angular. So if you have something that's referencing that data in the DOM, and I'm going to mention the Angular compiler here. I, I know that a lot of times when I do that, people get really scared. But if you start working with the Angular compiler, you need to run the digest scope whenever you do an update that's outside of Angular's purview, right? So your Firebase updates come in asynchronously. Angular doesn't know anything about them. You either have to call $timeout or $apply to get all that stuff to happen. Uh, so what Angular Fire does is takes care of all that internally so that you don't have to manage those things and know when the scope needs to be updated and when the compiler needs to run. So I guess a simple answer to your question is $set's just a wrapper on the Firebase SDK that also tells Angular to run the digest scope. Oh, nice. One of the issues I've, I've been taking a look at closer lately is unit testing in Angular as a whole and mocking some of the services. Is there a good testing and mocking story for Angular Fire? Yeah, so Angular Fire itself uses a, a mock I wrote a while back called Mock Firebase, and you can actually read the Angular Fire test units end-to-end tests and see sort of how those work together. Mock Firebase is basically a complete implementation of the Firebase API, but it's local. It doesn't actually make any calls off of the, the local machine, and it pretends to be asynchronous if you want it to. But one of the really super things about it is you can use it synchronously and avoid all this sort of timing issues and, and weird stuff that makes test cases unreliable. Uh, yeah, I got I definitely got to play with that because I've been writing some stuff with Firebase lately, and I haven't seen the, the mocks for that, so I'll, I'll keep digging around. Yeah, they're great. And one of the nice things is they're built in the sort of Angular framework. So Angular loves the the dot flush on timeout, things like that, and it uses a similar strategy. So if you're familiar with Angular's mocks, it'll it'll fit right in. Sweet. So what's the coolest thing you guys seen somebody use uh, Firebase to create? The coolest thing I've seen is probably not even like a real app 
this uh are you familiar with like the glasses maker uh warby parker they essentially have this big store up in new york city and then every time someone orders like a pair of glasses in store they don't like get them handed to them they like walk up to the register and then they have these like pneumatic tubes where they shoot up a like like your glasses container to you like something you'd see in a mail room and it just like pops up in front of you and how they uh send those tubes to their customers they do all that through firebase sweet that sounds cool that's yeah. cool it's, so it's like real time snail mail delivery. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty cool. Nice. One of my co- our coworkers, she's working on a uh, real time Rock'em Sock'em robots with like trying to hook up a Raspberry Pi to Rock'em Sock'em robots and get them to like you know you can get them to fight like from your browser. Ooh, yeah. You know we should go with that is have like the like a Thunderdome type thing where you got everybody. I've got to say that, that my pick for the for the coolest thing built with Firebase would have to be the uh, fruit tester. So oh, Jenny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jenny hit our company for an experiment week project. She um, hooked up a couple of screws to a to a voltmeter and hooked that up to Firebase to an LED, so that you can actually stab these screws into a piece of fruit, and it'll tell you what kind of fruit it is in real time on your phone. <laughs> so or you can so just awesome. look at the fruit. Yeah, I mean, like she's, she's plugging it in, and it's like, it's a strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> there are some fruits that are difficult to identify. Now, Cato, you told me about another application the other day that was pretty wonky. Are you allowed to share that? I can't think which one you're telling me, so... With the video? The idio <laughs> Yeah, the, the <laughs> reaming stay idio <laughs> So I'm just going to say, and you can tell me to cut this out if I'm not allowed to, about how um, they actually did streaming video over Firebase using Base64. Oh, no, 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 no. That was not you. That was Greg Saltis. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he told me about that. Sorry. I, it's actually, I do know what you're talking about. One of the, yeah, we're, our, at Firebase, we have, like, when you get here in your first week, you have, like, an experiment week where you get to spend like the first couple of days just making something with Firebase so to get really familiar with the API and one of our core engineers here made a uh, used setup like WebRTC and essentially piped all the video streaming through it and so you could anyone open up their laptop and it was like this big tiles like you know it's like a hundred by hundred tile of like everyone like video chatting all on one page it was pretty cool through Firebase yes through Firebase all you Firebase guys look alike to me, so sorry, that was great. <laughs> well, it looks like a really solid service. Oh, I do have one more question. So, and it goes back to the security. It seems like you can have some kind of user login that, that does the security, but what about if you're just doing, like, a basic key-based authentication? So, you know, you essentially pass an API key and it just stores the information generally, What's to keep somebody from popping up a JavaScript console on your, like in Chrome DevTools and just using your API to put bogus data in there? Yeah, that's uh, pretty easy to, that's like, you know, base level. Uh, you don't even need the simple login client for that. You uh, essentially, when you, you have a secret key for your Firebase and you uh, essentially can, from that secret key, you can generate out uh, tokens that people can use to authenticate. So you can pass in through, uh, you basically will create a token and then you pass that through that client and then that person can authenticate and only the person with the token can access anything. And so you can check to see if this person is, you know, the the one like account that can access that. And if, you know, if it's not that person, it's not going to get anywhere. Yeah, so another great option there is anonymous authentication. 
which would allow you to basically authenticate people without them having to do anything. They don't have to enter any credentials or anything. It's location-based, so you just get a unique key assigned to you, and you can utilize that to sort of store data for yourself that nobody else can access. I love the inherent oxymoronism in anonymous authentication. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I absolutely know that you are somebody who I don't know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but you are a unique individual that I can identify. Yeah. That is such such a cop-out, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You're unique. You're wonderful. I just don't care who you are. Uh, it's a really cool tool because a lot of people have used it to um, like essentially start someone through like a checkout process and then attach all this data to them. And then at the end, they can, you know, have them make an account. And then from there, they can take all this stuff that's already essentially stored in their database. And they're only like writing one record to it rather than having to like upload everything as they go. So it's a pretty fast way to like track stuff on somebody and try to sort of like bug them into actually signing up for your service. Yep, and we've had it used in a few mobile apps where they don't want to do authentication at all. They just want to allow everybody to enter like their name and, and be a unique ID and be able to do chat and so on. It's awesome. Cool. So another question we get asked a lot is, is are we viable? With some of the big players in our industry going out of business recently, people want to know if we're, if we're around to stay. We're super well funded right now. I mean, we have a huge amount of funding coming in and more coming in the next couple months. So funding is certainly not a problem for us. We're moving fast. We're also growing pretty quickly. I'm guessing we're going to have another 50 to 100 people on the team here in the next six months. And we're also going to, um, I mean, you can also look at our customer base to see some of the big people who are using us now. So we have enterprise contracts with some big names. And on our customer page, we have some, you know, big guys like CBS and Twitch using us. So um, we're definitely around to stay. Awesome. Awesome. Good to hear that. So if you're hiring, you can go ahead and uh, just uh, throw that in now. How do people uh, find out about job opportunities? Yeah, so we have a jobs page on our website, um, and we're definitely hiring, always looking for great talent. And we also have jobs at firebase.com, and anybody's welcome to email us there with a resume. Cool. Awesome. All right, before we get into the picks, uh, Joe, is there any news you want to share about NGConf? We announced the call for papers last week, right? Call for presenters last week. I believe week. so. So n- this week, no. No, no news. All right. Well, go check out NGConf, and if you want to speak, let them know. All right, let's go ahead and do the picks. Lucas, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So I just started a new blog post series on building a RESTful AngularJS web application, and my pick is uh, the Loopback framework by Strongloop. So I'm not really a back-end developer, which is why I like tools like Firebase. And Loopback is actually built in kind of with Yeoman to actually generate your REST API. And there's a video on my blog post where I, I basically build this REST API out in like 90 seconds with commentary. So really enjoyed working with Loopback. It's a really good tool. And um, so just JavaScript front to back. I really enjoy it. Awesome. What about your uh, Angular tip of the week? I really think that you should uh, decorate the log service to do interesting and useful things. And check out Thomas Burleson's article on how to do that if you have any questions. But that's helpful. All right. Joe, what are your picks? So I'm going to pick a show I listen to off of Audible. It's a BBC radio broadcast show. It's a dramatization called Cabin Pressure. It's a comedy. It's, it has short, like, 20-minute episodes. I think there's something like six of them that have been put out. It's not very expensive, just a few bucks to pick up off Audible. 
It actually is voiced by several kind of big British authors, one of which Benedict Cumberbatch. And it's quite hilarious. It's about a, an airline and a pilot and his co-pilot and their crew. And it's really funny. So I've been enjoying listening to that, getting a big chuckle. I do enjoy British humor. So that'll be my pick. And my angular tip of the day will be to use NGF. Because sometimes NG show and NG hide just don't cut it. And NG if is the answer. Take that dumb element right out of the dumb. Bam. 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 All right, John, what are your picks? My first pick is going to be, my only pick is going to be Once Upon a Time. I'm a big Disney guy, and I like those kind of stories. And my kids, my wife and I, have been getting into that uh, TV show, and their fourth season just started. And it's just fun. We get to watch TV together, and it's, uh, it's really wicked cool. So I love Once Upon a Time. Imagine that. And then my Angular tip is going to be use controller as syntax. Get rid of your scope out of your controller. Use controller as. Why? Because. Because. <laughs> actually, I got a lot of reasons why it's a great thing. We could actually do a whole show on that. Well, yes, we could. A lot of good stuff in there, and it actually isn't just stylistic. There's things that can help prevent you from falling into uh, traps if you use it. So, uh, good stuff. Awesome. I really enjoy Once Upon a Time as well. If you like Frozen this this uh, this season, I think is my wife's really hooked on Once Upon a Time. Awesome. Yeah, I got I got to take my kids to a uh, they had a local convention in Orlando last year. They had all the people from Once Upon a Time, well not all, but like a lot of the cast, and my kids got to meet some of the members, and it was really cool. So that kind of hooked them in. Awesome. All right. Well, I've got a pick. It's actually kind of a there's a little bit of backstory to it. Basically. We interviewed a fellow named uh, Kurt Elster on the Freelancer Show, and he was talking to us about building like small sites you can build in a day kind of thing. And I just thought it sounded like fun, so I built one. It's up. It's called TodayIsASuccess.com. I've actually been playing with that's the app that I was playing with Firebase on. Um, it's not using Firebase in production yet, but you can go check it out. TodayIsASuccess.com. And my tip is is that when I built it, I just threw it together with the Cookie Store to store the data. And it's kind of a neat little way of storing data on the client. So check that out. Cato, what are your picks? Cool. I'm feeling a little rebellious here because I have four picks and all of you only gave one. We'll forgive you. <laughs> so the first thing I'd like to suggest is a coderpad.io. It's an app that actually uses Firebase and does real-time collaboration. Um, I've seen it used for interviewing processes and also for uh, working remotely with other coders when you uh, want to get help or, or go over some design. A really great app for that, and they recently integrated Google Hangouts, so you can do a Hangout right there on your code page while you're editing it. Pretty cool stuff. And then I have a couple other picks. I'm going to go a little off the beaten path and, and pick some music here, because when I'm having a hard day getting involved in my code, I, I really love to listen to this band called Two Steps From Hell. And you guys have probably heard of them, even if you don't know their name. You've probably heard a lot of their music, because they're kind of like the de facto for all of the epic game and movie trailers that you see on television. Anything that's that's got an awesome soundtrack behind it and happens to be a movie trailer probably came from them. And then my last pick is a book by Cormac McCarthy, which you probably don't know this. One of my hobbies is uh, stalking Cormac McCarthy. So as a professional writer, I have that privilege of, of being a stalker without that being too creepy. It's still a little creepy. But I do enjoy uh, just really getting after him because he's such an amazing writer. And he wrote a book called The Road, which turned into a TV series a bit later. And when I read the review for this, the review... I read this review online about this story. It said, um, 
when you read this book, you feel like the only thing keeping the characters alive is you flipping the pages. And if you stop flipping the pages, they're going to die. And I said, oh, okay, with a review like that, I'll read it. And it's every bit true. Amazing book. All right. Uh, David, what are your picks? Yeah, my first pick is we just released a Chrome extension called Vulkan. And it's actually even cooler than its name because it allows you to look at your Firebase data in your uh, Chrome DevTools, and so you can see all your data update as you're developing, and it gives you a nice view of uh, the state of your data. So download Vulkan. It's pretty awesome. The uh, next pick is I've uh, done pretty much as a front-end developer, I've done a lot of stuff with Photoshop, but not really actually learning it well, just kind of learning things as I go. So one of the things I was really horrible at using was the pen tool, and recently, I saw this one website called The Bezier Game that teaches you how to use the pen tool all in the browser, and it's pretty amazing. And uh, my last pick, I'm going to uh, give you guys some props. I uh, just recently listened to the JS Jabber episode with uh, Brendan Ike, and that was uh, one of the most interesting things I've ever heard in the tech landscape, and I'll probably make an effort to like re-listen to it like you know once every couple months or something it was really awesome yeah that was a fun episode to record and we were all like going all fanboy and stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was geeking out just listening to it yeah super good episode all right well thanks for coming guys and uh hopefully some folks will go check out angular fire and firebase thank you thanks for having us all right we'll wrap this up we'll catch y'all next week This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.